0: Ready? Here we go.
1: Different points of view and highs and lows. A new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind, drown out the noise, and see if this connected. What's up, fam? The mission of this connected podcast is to connect generations and situations about faith, life, and whatever comes along the way. To not necessarily agree, but be listened to. These conversations, of course, highlight the perspective of our various guests, and you are always welcome to agree or even disagree. But as always, we hope that it is done in charity. Now, here's your host, Catholic.Dad.
0: What's up, fam? And welcome to another episode of this connected podcast. You know, um, Tony's not here. And thank you, Tony, for that great intro, as always. But today, I am running solo, but I am not alone. Never alone, because someone's always here, aside from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit always guiding this podcast. But with me today is a special guest. And you gotta pause because I am ill prepared. As always, as Tony can attest of how ill prepared Arnell is, because I have to introduce someone so amazing. I'm actually giddy. Um to share with you guys our special guest for this this advent season. Hopefully we'll get this out before. Christmas. But during this Advent, I want to introduce to you guys a special guest. Now, my special guest fam is someone who I discovered on Instagram, um, social media. I discover a lot of people on social media. So I want to introduce to you guys someone really cool. So if you guys can see this, you're seeing Father Nicholas Sheehy. So I'm going to share it with our guests, our fam. Um, out there, our listeners, something about you, Father. So, fam, this is Father Sheehan. And Father Nicholas Sheehy grew up as the oldest of eight children. Eight. I thought I was the only one in a family of eight. But I found the other guy who was with a family of eight. Family of eight in a loving Catholic family in San Diego. Father, convinced of a priestly vocation from a young age, he joined the Legionaries of Christ in 1999 after finishing high school. His path to priesthood led him to Germany, Italy, and the United States, and he began his priestly ministry in El Salvador after ordination in 2013. We actually have listeners in El Salvador, or Salvadorans. Um, The Eucharistic celebration is is his high point every day. He loves Jesus and is passionate about forming people in the faith. He serves currently as the Divine Mercy Clinic and Family Center at the Divine Mercy Clinic and Family Center, focusing on spiritual direction, retreats, and marriage counseling. He also gives a spiritual guidance to young adults at the Newman Center at Pasadena at St. Philip's Church. He provides resources for spiritual growth at www.fathernicholas.com. So we're going to put that in the details of this podcast so you guys can follow father but father welcome to the show
2: thank you so much i really appreciate the the invitation
0: the the thing is you know it's um it's really crazy to to you know find guests that that um and I'm truly interested. I'm truly interested in a lot of people, but when I looked at your website and I looked at the things that you were writing, I was like, "Man, this guy is so cool!" And I really want to learn more. So, first of all, we're always wondering: it's like, how does a person um, answer that vocation, that call to priesthood? So, tell us about your journey.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely have to be very thankful to my family. Um, it's, it's very interesting. My parents, you know, they got married; they were still uh, fairly young. Yeah, both in the military. Actually, they actually met on a military base because my dad was in the Navy and my mom was in the Air National Guard, and uh, and so she always says that uh, my dad being in the Navy, he was there because he was going to tech school, and so since he wasn't in basic training like she was, you know, he was one of the only guys on base with hair, so that was the <laughs> the big selling point. But but in any case, you know, they they got married. I I came ar- around as the the first baby born in San Diego at the Navy hospital. So technically I'm a Navy brat, although my dad got out of the Navy just after I was born. And, and for him, one of the really important things was to make sure that his family was his first priority and he didn't want to leave his mo- my mom at home you know, with me if he was going to be stationed overseas again. So I always really respect that and really gained a lot from my, my parents, that sense of dedication to family.
0: Wow. Now, did you did you always, you know, like producer Tony and I both of us um always had talk about, you know, we had that moment in high school or during our younger years of being called to the priesthood and and actually for him he he discerned no. For me, I was petrified and said no way. Um but did you grow up always feeling and and knowing or understanding that maybe this is your call, and, and how did you discern um, that? Did you uh, discern with um, with a person, with your priest, and how did you choose where to go to be diocesan or to belong to a religious order?
2: Yeah, sure, thanks. I think that's really important. Uh, on the one hand, I feel very blessed in that the vocation was basically always present as an idea, uh, I know that I first started thinking about it around fourth grade. Uh, I know that because some of my cousins were making fun of me at Christmas one year, um, and they were watching some MTV music videos, and they said, you can't watch that. You're going to be a priest. Uh, so that that's kind of how I, I remember when I started thinking about it. Um, but it was really just you know kind of something there. I wasn't able to act too much on it. Uh, with my mom, we did go to Mass, obviously, always on Sundays, and then often during the week, I started praying the rosary more and more, even in middle school. I would say that since sixth grade, I've prayed the rosary every day, and I and that was something that was always very important for me. And then in eighth grade, I went on a actually a Boy Scouts retreat in San Diego out at Coronado, which is where the Navy SEALs also train. Wow. Uh-huh. And this priest, they they brought in this priest to give us a talk, and it was Father Joe, Father Joe Carroll, who's kind of famous in San Diego Catholic circles, uh, the founder of Father Joe's Villages, and I think he forgot that he was supposed to even give us a talk, so he just kind of rolled in, um, you know, not not really prepared, but I was profoundly impacted by the testimony that he gave. And he talked about all the great things that he does or that he, that he was doing at the time. You know, uh, he may rest in peace. He passed away a couple of years ago. But, you know, he was famous for working with the homeless and the poor there in San Diego. You know, he was running a parish, actually a, a pretty nice, well-to-do parish, but also doing a ton of outreach and help for the homeless, for the for the less fortunate. And so as he's giving his talk, you would kind of think, okay, well, you know, if you really want to help the poor, then you should become a priest. And he said, if you want to help people, become a social worker, which was kind of surprising to all of us, a little bit of a shock. He says, the only reason to become a priest is because God is calling you. So I really, I really appreciate that experience because that has definitely always been the framework for me thinking about my priestly vocation, that the only reason to do this is as a response to something that God is asking of me. So that, that for me was really fascinating. Then uh, around the same time in eighth grade, I got to know the Legionaries of Christ, um, which there were uh, some fathers that would come down and visit and do uh, do youth camps there in the San Diego area. And I got to know one of them very well. And I was impressed. You know, I, I was always close to our parish priest, learned a lot from, from the different priests that I, I met during the years. I also did visit the the diocesan seminary while I was in high school to do a discernment retreat. I knew a little bit the Benedictines there mm-hmm. in San Diego and the various times that I ran across Franciscans. I always seemed to get along with them very well as well. Uh, additionally, But I did feel like there was something different with the legionaries. So I I would help on some of their youth retreats. So during high school, every year, once or twice a year, we would have a boys retreat. I would go serve as one of the youth counselors. And then my senior year, uh, Father Thomas invited the older guys, the high school guys, to do a retreat just us. Now, you have to realize that these were retreats for middle school kids. Mm-hmm. So you're playing capture the flag, you're launching water balloons, and then you go and you have a talk, you have confessions, you have mass every day. So there's a lot of fun when we're talking about retreat. And, and so he said, you know, this one's just for the high school guys. And this was right after Christmas. So we were excited about this. We, we get there and we're like, you know, this is great because we liked serving and helping the younger kids, but we were also excited about getting together and being just us, because I think that the those high school retreats for me or the retreats throughout those years were really an oasis for me because it was where I met or I w- was able to spend time with other Catholic guys that were really committed to their faith because that wasn 't what I was finding at school. I was in public high school at the time, and even though I did know some Catholics, I actually hanged i I would hang out more with the evangelicals because they were a lot more coherent. <laughs> my Catholic friends. Um, but then these here at these retreats, there were other Catholic guys that really really were trying to live their faith. So we get to the first mass, you know, the evening mass, the first day, and Father starts giving his homily. And he says, okay, so in these three days of silence, and we all just looked at each three other, days. like, what is going on? What is he talking about? And he hadn't told us, but this was actually a silent retreat. And, and it was funny, my, my younger brother, he's three years younger than me. So I was a senior in high school. He was a freshman. So he, you know, even he, he wrote me a note. He's like, I don't think I should be here. Be here. And I said, I wrote a note back as I talked to father Thomas. You know, basically telling him, <laughs> you know, don't bother me, uh, do your thing. And then, and we'll figure it out later. But that retreat did have a profound impact on me. And, you know, I think if at, on the one hand, I always had a sense of a pretty vocation, um. obviously age appropriate. So, you know, you think you want to be a priest and you think you want to be a fireman and you think you want to be an astronaut. So a lot of different things, but the idea of priesthood was always there. But on that retreat, I really felt like I was able to grow in my prayer life, go a little bit deeper. And I remember talking to father, we were out on the soccer field actually, because it was the same place where we would have the retreats with the, with the kids and looking up at the stars and I just told him, father, I got to go visit the seminary. Like, this is just something I have to do. So then Holy Week of my senior year, well, Holy Week, which was also spring break, I had some friends that were going to Baja, California. They were probably up to no good. Other (laughs) friends that were going to Colorado for skiing, and I was going to visit this seminary in Connecticut. So I got out there and I'm just like, what are you doing? It seemed like the worst way to possibly spend uh, spring break but but there I just kind of fell in love with what I saw I met a lot of very good young men very exemplary seminarians and and you know if on the one hand I think I've always had a deep sense of vocation at the same time I feel like the call has always been to the next step right so that high school retreat visit the seminary visit the seminary okay come back for the summer program which we call candidacy Then in candidacy, I'm going to join the novitiate. And it's always been just kind of a a calling and a a moving deeper and in a more profound way within God's love.
0: Stages. You know, I've always asked a lot of priests, like, how early is too early to foster that vocation? There are some priests "Oh, just wait until after college, go to college, live your life, and then rethink whether or not you're being called to the priesthood or not. There are some priests who you know as early as possible continue to foster that. So, what what are your thoughts on how soon is too soon and how late is too late to foster vocations into uh, the priesthood or religious?
2: Yeah, well, I I would pre- preface that a little bit. So in the Second Vatican Council document Lumen Gentium, which is the dogmatic constitution on the Church, it talks about the universal call to holiness. And this is the fundamental vocation that we all have. And I and I love, you know, and whenever I go back to it, it always kind of gets me psyched up and and motivated. And I think that's something that's really important to to take into account. And that's something for all of us. Once mm-hmm. you're baptized, you're called to two things: to be holy and to bring others to the faith, right? So I think that's something that's really important to take into account. So we're all supposed to be working to be holy, you know? And so even kids, that's something that's important to make sure that we're integrating into their lives. And that's why it's so important to have youth ministry so that we are giving them the tools that they need. Now, when do I make a concrete step if I feel that I have a priestly vocation Right away. Okay. Now that concrete step is going to look differently according to my situation. You know, if I'm 11 years old, well then I think I should reach out to a priest and get some guidance, you know, think what, what would be age appropriate for me right now? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a little, I think it's limiting to put arbitrary limits. Okay. You have to go to college first. I think for a lot of people, it's a great experience to go to college. But what's the bigger question? If God is calling, I have to respond to what he is asking me to do, right? And that's why it's it's helpful to get guidance from somebody who can help me to see that. But then like for us for the Legionaries of Christ, we actually do have a high school seminary which offers, you know, even, you know, younger men the opportunity to take some concrete steps in discerning their vocation. But it's not for everyone. And that's why we'll even help guide there. And for some guys, it might be finish high school. Or you know, a lot of times working with young men that do feel a call to, to a priestly vocation, we have to look at some different elements. And for some of them, it might be, you know what? I would encourage you to look at some other paths because there might be signs that they're not called to the priesthood. Or for some of them, you know what? You do have some maturing that you still need to do before going to the seminary so let's keep talking, but I want you working on A, B, and C.
0: Right now, there are many religious orders, but tell us, Legionaries of Christ, what is the charism of the Legionaries of Christ? What what makes you different from say, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Columbans, um, the Salesians? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, thank you. I think that's that's a great question. Now we definitely have a very Christ-centered spirituality which you could say, well, everybody has that. And I would say yes and no. I mean, I think it's, <laughs> it's something that definitely is a, a lot, the, the way we live out our vocation. Um, and then, you know, specifically, we're working with lay people through the movement Reagan Christi, specifically, which is a lay movement mm-hmm. of apostolate. And we're working with lay people in order to form them into apostles to bring Christ's kingdom into the world. So that takes a lot of different forms. Um, but it's something that is very exciting. When I was looking at the characteristics of the Legion when I when I joined, I think it's something that would still hold t- true today, but I w- I saw, you know, tremendous love for Christ, tremendous love for Mary, and tremendous love and fidelity to the Holy Father and the Church. And I think those are things that still characterize us. But when when you think of like what is our charism? How do we work apost- apostolically? what's especially working with lay people so that they can discover their own vocation and really influence society and bring the values of the gospel into the society in which we live.
0: Wow. So um, now you're discerning your vocation, and you went to Connecticut, and you come home. Your parents already knew that this is something that you're discerning. And so what was the process after that for you? Well, yeah. I mean you're the oldest. You're the oldest boy. Yeah, I'm I'm the oldest. I am
2: the oldest boy. Um, you know, my my dad had a really you know great philosophy about life. He said you can do anything you want as long as you pay for it (laughs) 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 Which which that was funny. For my mom my my mom is definitely the center of faith in our house and and I've always been very inspired by her. And and to a certain extent, I would say we even grew in the faith together because I think my priestly vocation definitely spurred her on to greater spiritual growth. But even now, I see how there is a lot of very deep faith in the way she lives out her life. Um, they did sit me down my senior year of high school and like, okay, what are your plans? Right? like Like, what are you thinking of doing? And we talked about a few different options i did talk about the possibility of going to the seminary um you know for my dad i think it was always if, if, if this is what you want to do you know i support you for my mom definitely great reverence for the priesthood very willing to make that sacrifice of of having her oldest son move away but also i think it was very hard for her you know, I think, you know, that she has missed me, um, but openness and generosity, which I think is something that's very important and something that I'm very thankful that that my parents have supported me the way that they have.
0: Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. We have a friend, we actually have a, one of our supporters, Elizabeth, who's Salvadoran and her and her husband, Diego, have been great supporters of our podcast and their son, the first son, Augustine, um, Please pray for him because he's 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 turning two. But they the, the beautiful thing that they said to me one time is we've offered up our first fruits. He's mm-hmm. our oldest, and we offered up our first fruits to God. And so I, when you told me, you know, you're the oldest, talk to your parents. Your mom's so loving. Uh, it just reminded me of how Elizabeth offered up her first fruit to God to be, if God calls you to be a priest, here Lord is our son. Um, so it always endears me. I love that little boy. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to adopt him. Uh, can't. He has parents. <laughs> uh, but doing that, I, I really love that, that you answer that call. But in your bio, it took you to Germany and all these. Why did you end up over there? And then how did you end up in El Salvador?
2: Yeah, well, the Legionaries of Christ, I, I do f- would say that there's a, a missionary uh, spirit for sure. We're very international, as one of the things that I've really appreciated. In our communities, we try to always have members from different nationalities. So, like even here in uh, Pasadena, we have one from Mexico, one from Irish, and then there's three of us from the United States. Um, and, and then so all the way through formation, you're mixed up with people from different cultures, different nationalities. And so as part of that, and this is something we've, we've kind of modified since then. And now most of the times your initial, your first couple of years, you do, we do try to have you do in your home country. But when I was going through, it was very common to kind of get uh, moved around during that time. So I went to do the novitiate in Germany outside of the, the great city of Cologne. And we were about 20 uh, seminarians at that point in those two years of formation. And there were some from Eastern Europe, you know, from, the, from Hungary, from Romania, one uh, from Slovakia, then uh, some from Poland came through, Germany, uh, Spain, uh, the United States, Canada, Mexico, so we were quite the quite the mix.
0: Okay, so what language then <laughs> is used during formation?
2: Well, so you, normally we use the the language of the country where we are. So there, I had to learn German. That was part of the adventure.
0: See, I, I would have failed right there. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so you learn German, mm-hmm. and then learning German prepared you to speak Spanish in El Salvador.
2: Well, so in <laughs> in high school. In high school, I'd already started speaking a little bit of Spanish. Actually, one one interesting thing with the Legionaries of Christ, we're a congregation that originally comes from Mexico, so our official language is actually Spanish. Oh. So even from the first days that you're at the seminary, you have to be working on your Spanish. Um, being in in Germany, it was also kind of sometimes the fallback. You might speak English or Spanish. You know, if everybody. Wasn't able to under, understand each other as well in in German, especially in the first months, as you're you're kind of getting acclimated, and then in in Rome as well, you know, our university classes would be in Italian, but oftentimes the activities within the house might be in Spanish, just as a way of fostering mm-hmm. that you know universal language, or at least what for us is a universal language.
0: Well, I, I really admire a lot of our priests who. Ha- Are able to speak multiple languages. I always call that. It's that is truly the gift of the Holy Spirit to do that, because, fam, as you know, I've been trying to learn Spanish for going on fifty years now, and still. Although um, my my
2: my parents say something because they said, you know, Nicholas, when you joined the seminary, you spoke one language well. Now you speak four (laughs) languages poorly. And anyway, you know, that's one of the great things about family is they they help you make sure that you keep it real because they always bring me back to earth,
0: and and that's a wonderful thing. I I grew up in a in a large family. You know, it's it's like you know, it, it, I I always encourage people to have large families because as as a young the youngest of eight, when you got in an argument with one, at least you had six others. <laughs> To to still have. And you know, if you're only two of you and you argue with one, well there goes half a family. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no more talking today. Um, so how was it growing up with a large family in San Diego military brat and you know sharing yeah. a room. I I I'm presuming sharing rooms. Yes, I did
2: share a room for most of most of the time while living at home. Um I really that,
0: that's preparation for the seminary, right?
2: Yeah, that was a good preparation. And uh I remember getting to the novitiate, you would have your different tasks during the day. And I was really surprised because some of the other seminarians had never cleaned a bathroom before. Whereas in our house chores, you got to know how to do a little bit of everything. Uh, I really appreciate growing up in a large family. I think I appreciated it even more once I left. Um, (laughs) in The sense that, you know, once you do have a little more, more space and separation, it is easier to grow in that appreciation of one another. And then being the oldest, one of the things that's fascinating for me now is seeing my younger brothers and sisters really as adults and seeing how each one of them is making his own life. And really, I'm very proud of each one of them. So I think it's just kind of a a growing of love. You know, sometimes we think of love as arithmetic, you know, one plus one is two, but I feel that love is really a lot more multiplication. And so... You know, the more people you love, your your heart grows. So I'm I'm very thankful for that.
0: So growing up in families, are you are you the only one who is a religious? I am. Yes. So so as the oldest, and here comes the family gathering. Um, do they treat you differently, or do they treat you still as Nicholas?
2: My brothers treat me exactly the same. <laughs> one of one of my brothers, he does often call me, you know, the padre. And and there's a little more, you know, a little bit of deference, but for the most part, it's you're, you're one of the brothers again, (laughs) you know, which is interesting. Then, uh, my sisters are a little more pious, so there might be a little bit of a a special treatment there, but, um, but I mean, I think it's good and I think it's very healthy. And, and even for me, I really enjoy getting back together with everybody. You know, it's not as often as we would like. But it's always a very enriching experience.
0: It's beautiful. I, I love, again, I come from a big family. I love big families. Um, I just see the joy of, of, of my parents um, when they had the big family. It's just. When we used to have the family gatherings here because this was the podcast room used to be my mom's room. Mm -hmm. And uh, my neighbor's like, you're throwing a huge party. And it's like, no, it's just my immediate family. Right. There's eight of us. And the whole street would be filled with cars and the house would be overflowing with people. Um,
2: Well, it's it's funny. A couple of years ago, uh, we all went home for Thanksgiving and my parents they live out in the country and so my dad wanted to rebuild the fence around the property which is a pretty long fence. And I kind of heard about this and I was very enthusiastic. Yeah, I want to help. I think this is a great idea. Of course we'll help you. So I was the most enthusiastic, but um but then getting home and all of us being out there working, like those were two very long days. <laughs> And and there was a lot of emotion and different opinions. And a couple of my brothers have actually worked on farms and they're a lot more practical. And it and very very quickly it became clear that I was very enthusiastic, but not as skilled as as some of my brothers. So that was that was quite the experience. And it was funny because we got it done, which I think is is important, but there were definitely a lot of discussions about the best way to do things and various opinions. And it was funny because during the afternoon one of the neighbors drove by and she was just amazed you know and, and she was you know congratulating my parents like well, you did such a great job that all your sons wanted to come home and help do this and we're all and they like could could we have them do it for us later and we're just looking at her like we're never doing this again cuz somebody will probably die <laughs> you
0: know I could just see you your brother saying oh, Padre might bless it but he ain't building it.
2: <laughs> oh, but I, I was working. I was working. I just, I wasn't as good as them and they're all, they're all bigger and stronger than I am. So.
0: That's amazing. I, I love, I love family stories because I, I think it's just, um, it's just how you see um, family should be gatherings. You know, there's, there's people of, of everyone's different. You know, different attitudes, uh, different things and we all bring uh, you know challenges to to the table especially during the Christmas season. Not everyone gathers, not everyone gets along but um, but we still do long for each other mm-hmm. so going to that, what was it like to be in El Salvador?
2: Yeah it, I, I mean I loved it. Like, I, I really, really appreciate my time there, and and I really love the people that I got to meet during my time there. Uh, it was definitely a very big surprise. In I mean, what way? In what way? Um, because, well, I was coming up on diaconate ordination, so I was expecting an assignment, my first priestly assignment, you could say. And um, I really expected either to come back to the United States or to be working in Germany, or maybe in Mexico, just because we do have a lot of works of Apostle to Mexico. And I was speaking with my rector and he says, yeah, well, we thought that you could work with young people in El Salvador. And so I was I was very surprised. It was off your radar? Yeah, completely off of my radar, but then just very excited. And, and so I got to go there. I was working very much in the city of San Salvador, which is the capital where a large portion of the, the population lives and i was always very impressed by the faith of the people there's a lot of eucharistic devotion now this is a country that was torn apart by a civil war you know even fairly recently Mm -hmm. um but where there would be adoration it's a a city that is still plagued by a lot of violence and crime but nevertheless you would find adoration chapels any time of day and people coming in and out so i thought that was impressive and then also the spirit of, you know, even a lot of people would go to confessions on Sundays there. They kind of have the the custom that they'll have confessions available during the parish masses. Mm-hmm. So then people would take advantage of that quite a bit. And and I was working with, uh, with boys and young men especially. And then later I, I got to work with some of the young women as well. Um, and so we would do evangelization missions, especially during Holy Week, but also other times of the year we would have retreats specifically for these young men, specifically for the boys. Um, that was great. Conversion conversion retreats for young people as well. And then also helping out at the school that uh, the Legion of Christ has there. So that was really very exciting. And, and I really feel like I've made a lot of my deepest friendships there in El Salvador. And I'm in contact with people there mm-hmm. pretty much every day. Um, it, it really, it, it's a very caring, loving people, and, and I'm always praying for the church in El Salvador even today.
0: So, you know, we, we've all watched a movie, um, St. Oscar Romero, you know, uh, during that time that you were there, was it? truly a really dangerous place um, you know, with uh, the Civil War dictatorships and things like that were, were you and and were you witness to to harm uh, and and things like that, atrocities
2: well the the Civil War ended uh, you know 30 years before I or 20, 25 <laughs> years before I got there right so so definitely nothing of the Civil War problem of of crime definitely made itself present and, and it made itself present a little closer than I would have liked. But at the same time, uh I don't think that we let it stop us, right? Mm-hmm. And we would do outreach even, you know, out visiting the homeless, which was definitely something where you had to keep your eyes open, you know, cuz it wasn't uh, you know, a safe situation per se, but but you know, thankfully working with a lot of honesty and really trying to help people. I think God blessed us and and protected us uh even if we did have a few a few close calls. <laughs> but then, you know, it's a good preparation for working in Los Angeles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 never, I, I think that I've, I have never felt truly unsafe in El Salvador.
0: It, the difference, you know, you brought up, you know, coming back home. Welcome back to America. Um, what, what, what would you say is the biggest difference between um, coming from El Salvador, where the people is, it's, it's a Catholic country where there is Eucharistic, Ador- Eucharistic Adoration chapels everywhere. And then you come home to the United States where it's it's almost very secular, it is very secular, and, and you don't see that. It's like, what is the biggest huge difference that you saw of the people of God, the faithful mm-hmm. over there versus what you see here?
2: Yeah, and, I, and actually my first three years back in the United States, I was in the Northeast in Connecticut working at our seminary and getting to know the church a little bit there. Um, like there I feel like it's it's very much an old church and it's a church that you know often the people don't really feel very attached to unfortunately so you know mass attendance is definitely down then coming out to Los Angeles I mean I love it here I love California <laughs> I'm originally from California but I mean secular I feel like it doesn't even begin to describe it you know it's uh Pope John Paul II used to always talk about the new evangelization mm-hmm. Right, which is evangelizing places that had been Christian and were no longer Christian. I feel like in Southern California, it's more of a first evangelization, no. right? And and where, you know, the Christian values, gospel values, really seem alien to our society. You know, we just saw it recently. I don't want to get into politics, but I feel like this is not a political issue. But Proposition One in California, uh, enshrining abortion in the constitution. And it was kind of a no brainer. Like you mm-hmm. knew it was going to pass, and, and so that to me speaks of a society that has lost contact with any of its you know Christian roots. Um, and so I feel like there's a very big challenge here. At the same time, that I'm extremely hopeful because I think that California does have a lot to offer to the world, and I think that if we're able to share the gospel and really embed. Christian values in society here it's something that will spread out to the rest of the world
0: yes because what happens in California spreads throughout the world that's right and um, this is you know as I talked to a friend we are in the front lines of the new evangelization we are in the front lines of 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 where God calls us to be um, so let's not move to where everybody is where the 99 are let's let's stay where where God is seeking us to be and this is it this Mm -hmm. is the front line um so going back coming back to california coming back to the united states you find yourself not doing the missions that are different than you have in el salvador so what are your missions now that you're here i mean i read it off your bio and i'm super interested in some of the things that you're doing so share with us some of those things that you're doing now
2: yeah, so my, my primary position, I'm the assistant director of the Divine Mercy Clinic and Family Center, which is a little bit of a mouthful, but- uh, Yeah, I was like, what is that? What yeah. is that? So I'm working with Father John Hopkins, um, something that he's built up here and which I'm, I'm helping him with. This is a clinic that has uh, psychologists and clinicians, you know, Catholic- a Catholic psychologist and, and, and clinician. And that is
0: so important. We've had episodes before where we have we have a lot of young people who struggle with anxiety, struggle with depression, struggle with mental health. And the beautiful thing is that our young people, this Gen Z, this millennial generation, are not ashamed to share that they struggle with mental health. And it's not something that my generation in the past, we, we kind of hit it. Right. Um but they're very open with their struggles, and so what they're seeking, and what I'm hearing a lot is they're seeking assistance, but they're not getting it from a faith-based Catholic faith-based mm-hmm. um, background. Um, so I'm glad that you're sharing that. So please continue.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that's really interesting there, like speaking about specifically about the clinic side of things, you know, because sometimes people will say, "Oh, so you're are you a psychologist?" I'm like, well, no, I'm not. You know, I'm a priest. I'm there as a spiritual director. Um, you know, but for a lot of people as they're working through things, you know, and, and this is one of the the areas where it is important to have a Catholic psychologist or somebody who at least understands the faith, you know, guilt is a big thing mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and what's kind of the typical Catholic response to guilt? Well, it's confession, right? And so as a priest, we're able to help with that obviously, but then also some people, you know, they'll be going through their, their mental health issues with the therapist, with the psychologist, but there might also be a spiritual aspect. And so then that's where the priest will come in and help with some of the spiritual direction, as well as, you know, we're doing some of the specific marriage counseling, which I think is also very helpful for a lot of these people. And so a lot of times there's a little bit of, you know, the same person might be helped by different people at the clinic in different ways. So that I think is is fascinating. And it's something that we would like to build up. I mean, the kind of the the long-term vision is that every Catholic in Los Angeles would have a Catholic psychologist to to be attended to, you know, that would be available. So it's something we're still trying to to grow with the clinic so that that becomes a reality. So that's the, the clinic side of things, which I think is very exciting, you know, a healthy Catholic anthropology behind the work. But then it's also a family center. And that gives us room for other activities. And, and where the priests probably get a little more involved, which is things like retreats. So mm-hmm. even just uh, two weeks ago, I was able to give an Advent retreat to Catholic uh, m- medical professionals in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, which was, was very good. But we can be offering other evenings of reflection, mornings of reflection. Another thing that we really like to do is the spiritual exercises, especially over the course of a weekend. So weekend retreats, both for men, for women, for couples, um, so there's a lot of different things that are happening as well as you know being a spiritual director you know, also yeah. helping a man a woman really look at what is God doing in my life how is he speaking to me how do I respond yeah.
0: and the you know you touched on a few things that that just um that just I, I just had to go back on and um and it's things that that young people who are pursuing going into the medical field and their concerns of of I'm a Catholic. Um, so what you said is you provide these retreats, these Advent retreats for medical professionals who work in the medical field. Right. But when we work in the medical field, I'm in the medical field, we're bombarded with you have to do things this way that are contradictory sometimes with our faith mm-hmm. and our morals. But if you want to continue and pursue Medical profession uh, and become a physician. Uh, I, I know one individual, young man, says you need to be more open to to this uh, to this issue, um, and you know that that's something that that they need um, spiritual support for. And then you mentioned something um, regarding um, in the Divine Mercy uh, Clinic. I wanted to go back on that and ask: Are people referred to you um, by clinics, by doctors, or do they have to hunt you down? Or how do they get a hold of of the the center? Mm-hmm. Is it is it HMO? Is it um, um, cash based? Is it you know? Is it a five hundred one c three? Is it nonprofit? I mean, how how does that function, and how do people? get a hold of that resource.
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean at this point a lot of often we we have people referred by their pastors, you know, from the the different parishes in the area are aware of us. Um, our website is dmclinic.org, www.dmclinic.org, which uh, you know, if you go in there then you're able to have the phone number and whatnot. At this point, uh, we're we're working on the 501c3 status, which I think is helpful also for some of the other projects that we have coming on. Um, for insurance, it's, it's more uh, that we're able to create a super bill, which then people can dig back to their insurance and can see if they'll be reimbursed. So it's nice. something that each person has to see with his insurance to see if they will accept that super bill mm-hmm. and help with that. Um, so that those are kind of the, the options that we're offering right now. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's great. You know, I, I always believe that, you know, we had, we give these resources, but, um, and that there's ways to get assistance right. for those bills. And so I, I don't want um, our listeners out there and says, well, I, I, I won't be able to afford it. You know, reach out. There's a lot of um, groups, like even us, um, to help you with the with expenses of, of doing that because it's so important to reach out for help and tying in your faith. And truly, with people who understand the faith, not people who think they understand the faith, is very, very important. Yes, and I really want to thank you for for bringing that to light. So what other things are you working on? I mean, you said that you know you work with the Newman Center, yes, in, in Pasadena at St. Philips.
2: yeah, so there, there's obviously a lot of activities there. It's something that we're constantly building up. And so even just sometimes when they're having activities, being present, being the priest there, you know, we have adoration. So offering confession during adoration, participating in the talks and everything. And then as well, two days a week, you know, I sit down in my office and I'm receiving people for spiritual direction from the Newman Center. So it's something that we kind of promote as one of the services of the Newman Center. And and I think it's a really, it's a key time in a person's life, you know, that time at college, you know, for a lot of these guys, it's the first time that they've moved away from home. Um, So they're kind of, you know, you know, even discerning seeing, okay, well, how am I going to live my life? Um, And one of the things that I've been fascinated about is that at almost every activity that we have, there's somebody who comes who's not Catholic, but who's interested in the Catholic church right and so maybe one of the other students has invited them and uh and so there's kind of that that sense of exploring that sense of openness to you know maybe god is you know wants me to be a catholic or maybe here is where i'm going to find the truth that i'm looking for
0: isn't it exciting to you know to to have someone who is non catholic come up to you and ask questions i always find those so much not saying that you know when catholics ask questions but they have different kinds of questions yeah sure it's this natural curiosity that's like what is it that you guys do you know most catholics don't ask that question most catholics ask you know questions i mean at least to me of why do we have to do that sure why do we have to do that and you get non-catholics who ask questions why do you do that
2: yeah and i think that's that's really neat and and it's where some of our because we have our our newman lectures uh once a month where we you know, bring in a guest speaker and have you know a topic that's maybe laid out a little more. And uh, a few months ago, we had a priest come in and speak about the Eucharist and he did a great job. And, and you could just really see the young people just kind of soaking it up and thinking and, and discovering new aspects of, of the theology of the Eucharist and things that help us really live our life, our faith life uh, a, a lot better. So I think that's good. And then speaking about some elements of morality and and one thing that that's really been on my mind and heart a lot lately is that I feel that a lot of times as Catholics we look at morality as a test that God has for us, right? And we look at it as something very arbitrary. And you know, so just God came up with a set of rules and like hopefully you can do these things so that you don't go to hell. And and I'm convinced that that's not the right way to look at it. And and so in my own preaching and speaking with people, one thing that I'm trying to bring across is that everything that God asks of us is for our good. You know, there's nothing that God asks us to do that isn't really for good. And so even in the area of human love, you know, and this is one of the areas where I think for for young people a lot of times it's a lot more difficult, just because. Like I'm saying, that's why I feel like we're not even in a Christian society anymore but what's being told from the outside, you know, it's like look for pleasure, you know, get yours and get out, you know, really it's using people mm-hmm. that maybe that wouldn't be said as explicitly, but it's definitely something that's being promoted uh, tremendously. And then you look at, you know, the Christian view of love. It's something that's very different. And, and in the end, it's much more fulfilling mm-hmm. and it gives you joy and peace and hope. Whereas the worldly vision of, of this, you know, it's giving you anxiety despair, and really hate of others and of yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I couldn't word it like that, but I totally agree. I, I love, uh, you know, saying um, this. Someone in previous podcast said, you know, what we ought to say is we ought to look for the near occasion of grace. Mm, uh, that's, a little, that's great. A, a lot of times, you know, in our act of um, uh, our, we always say, you know— um, I pray to avoid the near occasion of sin, mm-hmm. and a lot of times when we focus all on our sin, 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 we keep looking at our sin. It's kind of like when you're riding your bike and you're looking at, like, I'm going to miss that pothole, and you keep looking at that pothole. Guess what? You end up hitting the pothole. But if we focus on the near occasion of grace and what's the grace God is providing for me, then we'll hit those grace. You know, we'll get there. We'll get that. Um,
2: yeah, and I think that's really important. And even thinking, you know, probably some youth ministers or, or people working with adolescents might be listening to the podcast. One of the things I like to think about when I was working with adolescents was catch the kids doing something good, yeah. you know, because we're starving mm-hmm. for affirmation, you know, and I think it's something that's very present. And oftentimes there's this adversarial relationship with authority. But when we're able to catch somebody doing good, and build them up and affirm them in that you know it's it's much better to grow in virtue mm-hmm. than to just be afraid of you know what what retribution is awaiting me if I do something wrong
0: and and it's so basic because you know as a, as our fam knows that you know seventeen years of my life was working with development disabled, and what we focused so much on in changing behavior was not on negative behavior was that on positive behavior modification so if you want to modify behavior you know reward the positive things look for those positive things and as a parent you know those are the things that we kind of always look at you know reward the positive behavior of your kids stop fall you know stop falling into always looking at their negatives negatives it's easy to see the bad things that your children do and I think it's even, so much easier to find the good things. But I think when we focus on positive behavior, we modify that behavior to more of the positives.
2: Definitely. And I think even when we're looking at ourselves, you know, now we're in the time of Advent, in a time of grace. And and I think it's important to even look at ourselves with grace. You know, I've been actually very edified I've been able to hear confessions quite a bit in these last few months being he- out here in the the Los Angeles area. And um, so many people come with a very negative self-image, right? And obviously confession, mm-hmm. you're saying your sins. So, I mean, it makes sense that you're going to focus on the negative. But I, I always try to remind people, God sees the good things that you're doing too, you know? and And I think that even focuses a lot more about that, or somebody says, "You know, I'm struggling with this sin." I said, "Well, at least you're struggling, you know <laughs> at least you're fighting and God- and God sees that, God sees the struggle and and we have to remember that because sometimes we can get so negative on ourselves and and the devil wants that because I think that the biggest tool for the devil a lot of times it's not even making us fall into the the most horrible sin, but it's just discouragement and despair making us think that God isn't there for us, whereas God is always there for us.
0: Now, what you said there about something that one of our youth once said to me, um, you know, I feel like I'm missing out. You know, I know this much, you know, I've spent all this time in youth ministry, and I've, I know so much, I just don't know what to do with it, and I feel like I'm missing out because all my friends are out there. Living. And I always smile because you're so young. That's what you consider living. But what would you say to a young man who comes to you and says that, Father, I feel like I'm missing out. You know, I know all this, but I, I want to live in the world. Well, I think
2: that's where it's you know, it's important to acknowledge that, you know, acknowledge the feelings that he's experiencing at that point, but then also help him to reflect and see more of it and to see what are his motivations to be living the way that he is you know and is he living like a prison inmate with a lot of rules because that's not the freedom to which christ is calling us you know and so i would invite him to see okay well let's let's look at what you're doing a little bit better because if this if you're just you know coming to mass so that the priest doesn't yell at you or so that you don't have a guilt complex that you, you know, create, you know, that you committed a grave sin of not going to mass on Sunday. It's like, sometimes that's what gets us started, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes a little bit of Catholic guilt might be good for a lot of us, but but we're not called to stay there. And, and, you know, I would ask him like, well, what about growing in love? You know, like growing in love for God and and doing things for the right reasons. And then, you know, if all of your friends are doing things differently— Well, look at your group of friends and and something that I would always tell young people is try to have friends that are better than you look around the 10 people you spend the most time with, and you're probably the average of those 10 people, you know? And so the attitudes that they have, the way that they're living their life is going to affect you. And so if everybody around you is living life in a way that you don't approve of, look for some better friends. Some friends, you know, it's something that I mentioned earlier, it was something that I really appreciated from the the retreats that I would go and help out as a, as a young man. More than the message from the priest, which was always very good, more even than speaking with the priest, was spending time with other young men mm-hmm. who were convinced in their faith. And it was it was like the place where it was cool to be Catholic. Yeah. And, and, and really they were, we, well, they were all cool guys. Maybe I was the nerd in the group. Right. But, <laughs> but, uh, I think that's something that's important. And so if you don't have the friends now to support your life, the way you want to live it, look for those friends.
0: Surround yourself with holiness and holy people and it'll wear off on you, you know, because if that's all that you're around, um, as my mom would say, you know, you, you waddle and poop, you're going to smell like poop. <laughs> it's like my mom was not a person who mixed words, and she didn't use poop. She used a different word. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I think it's true. You know, Our tagline here is live a life of holiness, mm-hmm. you know, to be blessed and to be third. Um, and I think that's a way for us to actually live out life is – to continuously live that life of holiness directed towards Christ. And it's beautiful. Um, you know, my wife was saying, Who is he? Who is he? And it's like, Well, you remember listening to the reflections on, on Laudate? It says, You know, it's a, from the legionaries of Christ. It's like, He's one of them. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's like, Really? Should I clean the house? I don't know. Forget it. <laughs> but, Father, what else would you like to share with your mission? to our listeners and our fam out there.
2: Yeah, just that I'm, I'm really excited about working with people that are doing something for the church, right? Because I think that so often it's easy to fail in our motivation, to to just kind of lose sight of what might be going on and, and the good that I'm doing. Um, because I really like to work with committed Catholics and help them to really grow in their holiness. Because you find a lot of people that are doing things but it just gets into a routine and they kind of start losing the motivation and then they fall into burnout. Whereas if you're able to accompany these people and give them the proper motivation, well, then they start doing things a lot greater and a lot more incredible than they would have ever imagined. And I think that really the key to the church and Christ and his kingdom making an impact in this world is lay people who are aware of the beauty and the grandeur of their own vocation.
0: That's beautiful. I I think you touched something there. You 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 spoke earlier, Lumen Jensen. And and the lay people. But I think what people don't don't um talk a lot about is that those lay people that we're sending out there needs that spiritual support from its holy priests. You know. And, you know, there's your legion, Legion of Christ. Um, and I'm glad you're offering that spiritual direction to those lay leaders who are out there because I do see a lot of people who go out there. Um, gung ho i I want to serve god and then two three years later they're burnt out mm-hmm. because welcome to the real world you're not going to get all the support that you thought you're not going to get the people following you you're going to go say let's go and look behind you and there's one or two people and sometimes not and it's just you and so i think uh you know what we hope in in our podcast is you know our tagline is connect generations and situations to not mm-hmm. necessarily agree, but be listened to. So people need to be listened to, um, and have that dialogue and have that conversation. But people need you father to that spiritual guidance and direction to say, Hey, you know what? Maybe go this way. Maybe go left. Maybe go tweak it to a little bit to the right and, you know, affirm them that they are doing good works because, um, when you work out in the vineyard and it's hot, you know, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to move. I'm mm-hmm. just going to, you know, I'm just going to go on. And, and I think a lot of, of people are lost that way because they don't get that affirmation. They don't get that support. And they feel alone. You mm-hmm. know, even, even people who are working in, in God's vineyard feel alone because when you're on the field by yourself, it does feel like you're by yourself not seeing that maybe there's other people working near you, someone to help you. So, I want to thank you, Father, for coming on the show. Um, Would you do me a favor? Would you give a a blessing to all those people in the vineyard working? um, uh, Words of affirmation for them that, you know what, they're they're doing okay. um, That to continue on with, with their mission, whatever mission it is to lead people closer to Christ. Can you give them a little word? Very good. Yeah, I'm gonna word this maybe in in uh, the
2: form of a prayer to our heavenly Father and asking His blessing over all of us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us together to relish in the joy of the faith. I ask your blessing over all who are listening, especially those who are engaged with spreading the gospel in the world. Give them motivation, give them hope, give them joy, give them peace. Help them to recognize the season of life in which you have them. Help them to grow in their spiritual lives so that they do not spend themselves for the good of others but lose themselves along the way. Give them guidance, give them good people around them to help them see the way that you have marked out for them. Give them guidance so that in each moment, the prayer that your son taught us can become their life. Give us this day our daily bread. Heavenly Father, continue to prepare our hearts for the feast of Christmas so that receiving your son, receiving the Holy Family, may make in our hearts a difference, so that it can make us men and women of the gospel who bring forth your kingdom on earth. We ask this through your Son, Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you for that, Father, and thank you for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and um, their grace to To uh, truly be a wonderful and beautiful witness to our Lord's love. And on that note, fam, thanks for joining us again on this episode of This Connected. Follow us at catholic.dad on Instagram. I'm really sorry. Tony, I really always remember this. And if you want to um, become a, a support and support us, you can go to Patreon forward slash This Connected. Um, again, all of our funds that you donate and, and support goes to youth ministries out there who are in need, volunteer youth ministries, those that um, have parishes that don't can't afford a youth minister or provide even the basic needs of youth ministry. That is our mission to provide that support um, and. If you have any comments, concerns, uh, complaints, um, you can send that to at catholic.dad50 at gmail.com. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel at um, This Connected Podcast on YouTube. And as usual... Um, also, I forgot to say, if you want to follow Father Nicholas, you can go to www.fathernicholas.com. We're going to put that in the details of the podcast. I want to thank you again, Father, for coming on You're the welcome. show. welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And um, as always, please pray for us. We'll be praying for you. And as always, live a life of holiness, be blessed, and be third.
1: Different points of view and highs and lows, a new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind and drown out the noise. Different generations of the girls and boys, so sit back and relax. This cat, the podcast, don't overreact if these thoughts are abstract. When it's hosted by Catholic Dad, who knows what's gonna happen? Hey, what's up, fam? different points of view and highs and lows a new perspective everywhere you go open up your mind and drown out the noise and see if this connected
0: what's up fam? to connect generations and situations about fate, life and whatever
1: Back. Spec runaway thoughts like a runaway train Break into conversation like links of a chain Make a Hail Mary pass, hope this connects Have a question for a guest, put it to rest Live a life of holiness, lead by example Follow at catholic.dead and mini-tingled <laughs> Christ leads our way, he's the good shepherd Pray for one another, be blessed, and be there Different the points of view When highs and lows A new perspective everywhere you go Open up your mind and drown with the noise see disconnected.
0: This Connected podcast is brought to you by The Cabin. Want to get away and get some peace and quiet and rest? Yes, rest. But not too far away from home or the city? Want to experience a true log cabin feel in the mountains? Well, I have the recommendation for you. The cabin is a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath that will do just that. With a beautiful wood fireplace lit and a glass of wine, you are sure to relax. With easy access from the main highway, private parking, easy access with stairs to the entrance, fast Wi-Fi, a full-size kitchen, and all the essential amenities will make your stay a memorable experience. This cozy log cabin was built in the early 60s. With its original wood fireplace and a newly transformed deck with beautiful views of the San Bernardino Mountains. So, book your stay at the cabin in Running Springs, California. The cabin, located in the San Bernardino Mountains, is a beautiful place to see the beauty of God's creation. I have known the proprietor of the cabin for many years. She has always supported the youth and young adult ministries of her community, as well as this podcast. Check out the cabin on Instagram at the Cabin twenty twenty one. Again, that's at the cabin twenty twenty one. T H E C A B I N twenty twenty one.